1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including our guest, Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the uh, Cato Institute. We're talking about, can government actually compel a business to violate their religious beliefs? Uh, That's going to be a case that's tested in the Supreme Court. We'll be talking about that. And Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, will be joining us as well. It is January the 18th, and on this day in 1862, former U.S. President and Confederate Congressman-elect John Tyler died at age 71 in Richmond, Virginia. He was born in Virginia in 1790, served as a U.S. Congressman and as a governor of his home state before winning election to the U.S. Senate. During the 1830s, a week, Tyler became the 10th U.S. Vice President in the March of 1841. Within a month of his inauguration, President William Henry Harrison died in office, and Tyler vaulted to the executive chair. Uh, the major achievement, of course, of his, ambit- of his administration was the addition of Texas to the Union in 1845. Actually, uh, Harrison's death was kind of interesting. He uh, gave a speech without a coat or a hat. Uh, two hours long, which was not uncommon at the time, and ended up getting pneumonia and died exactly a month after he gave the speech. So that made a Tyler the president. After his presidency ended in 1845, Tyler retired to his plantation. Sherwood Forest, it was called, in Virginia. His fellow Virginians called on the 70-year-old to head a peace convention in the winter of 1860 and 61. This body tried to negotiate a compromise with the Republicans In the North, in order to prevent a civil war, the attempt failed, and as the Republicans were not willing to entertain any proposals that would protect slavery in the Western territories, Tyler was a delegate to the subsequent Secession Convention and later became a member of the Provisional Congress of the Confederate States of America. He felt that victory was impossible for the Confederates, but nonetheless suggested that the Confederate cavalry be dispatched to capture Washington, D.C. before the Union military was in place. Tyler was elected to a permanent Congress of the Confederate States of America, but died before he could take his seat. He was survived by his second wife Julia and eleven of his fifteen children. Tyler was buried in Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond, Virginia. Such an interesting story. Most most people have to be reminded about Tyler and Harrison and these others. It's just amazing, uh, interesting part of our history. Governor Ron DeSantis announced a common sense legislative proposal to make permanent COVID-19 freedoms in Florida. And this is such a relief to me. I don't know how you'll feel about it. But this strong pro-freedom anti-mandate action will permanently protect Floridians from losing their jobs due to COVID-19 vaccine mandates, protect parents' rights and institutes additional protections that prevent discrimination based on COVID-19 vaccine status. Uh, when the world lost its mind, Florida was a refuge of sanity, serving strongly as freedom's linchpin, said Governor DeSantis. These measures will ensure Florida remains this way and will pro- provide landmark protections for free speech for me- medical practitioners. As health sciences researchers and physician, I have personally witnessed and accomplished scientists receive threats due to their unorthodox position, said State Surgeon General uh, Ladapo. However, Many of these positions have proven to be correct, as we've all seen over the past few years. All medical professionals should be encouraged to engage in scientific discourse without fearing for their livelihoods or their careers. This is so important to me, and I hope it is to you as well, that I think many doctors were influenced, perhaps threatened. Uh, with the loss of their licensing and so forth, if they didn't take the company position or the government's position. Now they have protection from this threat. In 2021, Governor DeSantis signed legislation to protect Florida jobs and parents' rights to make health care decisions for their students, banning private employer vaccine mandates and mask mandates across the state. Governor DeSantis continues to safeguard Floridians' freedoms, and ensure no one is discriminated against based on their COVID-19 vaccine status or is subject to a two-tiered test and mask discrimination policies for employers. The proposal includes the permanent prohibition of mandates that are continuously proven ineffective, including permanently prohibiting COVID-19 vaccine passports in Florida, permanently prohibiting COVID-19 vaccine and mask requirements in all Florida schools, permanently prohibiting... COVID 19 masking requirements at businesses and permanently prohibiting employers from hiring or firing based on mRNA jabs, including Governor DeSantis' proposal of First Amendment rights guaranteed for uh, medical professionals, ensured uh, no one loses their jobs or medical license for voicing their professional opinions in Florida. The legislation will safeguard medical professionals from discrimination based on their personal religious views. Governor DeSantis remains committed to ensuring COVID freedom are, freedoms are upheld in Florida and will fight against local governments, businesses, and corporations that attempt to impose authoritarian policies surrounding COVID. I think this is just a breath of fresh air, quite frankly. I changed doctors uh, because of uh their position on co everybody needs to get the jab, and it was a, a large organization. I just changed to an independent doctor. Um, I may call me paranoid, but nevertheless, I think <clears throat> I wanted my doctor to look after my health, not take the position of the CDC. Well, President Joe Biden's uh, special envoy for climate, John Kerry, appeared at the World Economic Forum on Tuesday to share predictions of doom and gloom should the world fail to cut carbon pollution. I'm not convinced we're going to get there in time to do what the scientists said, which is to avoid the worst consequences of this crisis, he said, promoting a no-carbon future to prevent global temperatures from rising. He bloviates. Kerry gloomily noted that uh, to the Davos elites that despite recent global entities pledging to be carbon neutral by 2050, this was not enough progress. You and I, we know that... Uh, We don't have a clue about how they're going to get there, he said, and most of them aren't on track to get there. Kerry blamed the flooding in California as a consequence of climate change. Unbelievable. On the one hand, the destruction is unfathomable flooding that's just amazing, not just in California, but Nigeria, Uganda, and other places. He noted that the pledge for carbon-neutral entities was encouraging, but there are too many who are not fulfilling those promises. We're not, uh, Doing everything we promised, nobody, he said. He bemoaned the uh, ongoing environmental consequences of climate change, noting that half the species of the planets have already been killed. Where do you get that number? Kerry uh, lectured business CEOs for failing to recognize the destructive process of growth, which he described as not enlightened growth, but the robber baron growth. But at the beginning of his remarks, he praised the group that had gathered in Davos to work on the issue. It's so almost an extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet, he mused. If you said that uh, this to mo- pe- most people, most people would think you're just crazy, a lefty liberal, but you know do-gooder, uh, whatever, and uh, there's no relationship, he continued. Uh, <clears throat> he is. He just bloviates. He has no idea what he's talking about. Uh Carbon dioxide is plant food. And the more carbon dioxide, and it's a trace element, first of all, in the atmosphere. And the more carbon dioxide there is uh, actually, it uh, supplies photosynthesis and creates a more lush and green earth, which we should be grateful for. The climate change industrial complex is losing public support, by the way. We noted before that the climate industrial climax complex It's a multi-hundred-billion-dollar enterprise. It's a hustle to pick the pockets of taxpayers all over the world. They succeeded big time on the money front, but even with all the money, their scheme has been a failure in convincing voters that the world is coming to an end. On the one hand, uh, polls do uh, show most people want action on climate change, but when they're asked how much they're willing to pay to achieve that, the answer is shockingly low. An Associated Press poll found 68% of Americans would not be willing to pay even $10 more a month in higher electric bills if the money were used to combat climate change. And that pattern holds worldwide. <laughs> Most people think it's, it's uh, a ruse, and it is. And uh, John Kerry and others should uh, focus on uh, spending our money wisely and helping us to achieve uh, uh, s- uh, stability in our societies. Well, Republicans are raising concerns about Hunter Biden's recorded $49,910 rent and deposit payments following multiple inconsistencies reported regarding Hunter's access to the Delaware House where his father stored classified documents. Emails found on Hunter's laptop from hell show Hunter paid a $49,910 rental deposit to the House of Sweden for an office for the B- Biden's family business ventures with the infamous CEFC, China Energy Company. The Biden family has previously negotiated a deal with CEFC, whereby President Joe Biden, the big guy, would receive a 10% equity stake in the joint venture that according to uh, Tony Bobulinski. Uh, Hunter is 40. He used to be a business partner with uh, with Hunter, and he told all you may recall in the interview with Tucker Carlson, Hunter's $49,910 deposit also matches the amount of money he logged as a rent for housing on a 2018 background check document unearthed by the New York Post. Miranda Devine. The document also noted Hunter's residence was Joe Bud's home in Wilmington, Delaware, where the president kept classified documents alongside his Corvette in the garage. Oh, but it was locked The document additionally reveals Hunter's checked a box showing he was the owner of the current residence. It's not clear why Hunter noted he owned a location where he paid rent or why he listed his current address as Joe Biden's residence with rent payments. Representative Elise De Stefanik, the third most senior House Republican, said Hunter and the Biden crime family will be held accountable for their threats to national security. Well, let's hope so. Each day it becomes clear that Joe Biden and the Biden crime, crime, uh, crime family are current and significant threats to national security, she tweeted. Our Republican House majority will hold them accountable Representative Jim Banks speculated Joe Biden could have skimmed the rental payments from the Biden family business ventures. That's one way to skim 10% off the top for the quote-unquote big guy. Uh, Rogan O'Hanley, a lawyer and civil rights activist, described how he believed Joe Biden sold out America. It's simple corruption, he said. China pays Hunter some amount. Hunter pays Joe some amount. Joe sells out America. We the people lose while Biden gets rich, he said in, in his tweet. Several Republican lawmakers have demanded Joe Biden's impeachment about after about 25 classified documents were discovered in three different locations, including Joe Biden's garage in Delaware. So uh, Hunter had access to the garage. He even listed it as owning the home. He paid $50,000 to his father, the big guy. <laughs> Just a lot of evidence here to look into. And uh, my hope is they'll do a thorough job in these sub- subcommittees. Uh The Justice Department actually decided against having FBI agents monitor a search of Joe Biden's personal lawyers for classified documents. So talk about a uh, dual system of justice. They raid uh, Mar-a-Lago. And uh, they'd been there and visited personally with the president about those documents and came in and raided his residence. Meantime... Uh, There are classified documents. Joe Biden, as vice president, had no business taking a wave out of the uh, government, out of the White House. Those documents were stored in his garage in different places. We know that. Three different stashes. And there's probably more documents. But the point being is uh, Joe bidens he's not personally raided by the FBI. In fact, uh, his his, uh, attorneys did the search for his home. That seems just dual justice to me. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs) Forty-five,
0: forty-one. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show, and now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by InternationalHealthPlans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad. Uh, Your health plan may not uh, cover international travel. You can find out more by visiting the website and get uh, international travel insurance that will keep you uh, worry-free. InternationalHealthPlans.com is the uh, website. Coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
3: We are a libertarian tank headquartered in D.C. and devoted to defending private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web.
1: Thank you, Bob. And uh, sometime before June 30th, the Supreme Court will be deciding whether a private business owner should be compelled to design a web cake or a website for a gay wedding. This issue has come up several times in the past, and so the Supreme Court is going to uh, make a decision about this. Tell, about the, tell us about the background of the case.
3: The case is called 303 Creative versus Alenis. Alenis is the director of the Colorado Civil Rights Division, which enforces Colorado's Anti-Discrimination Act. And 303 Creative is a website design company run by a, a gal named Lori Smith. She's a devout Christian. She believes that marriage is only between one man and one woman, and she wants to expand her business to include uh, wedding websites, but not for same-sex weddings. Uh, she also wants to post a message to that effect on her own website. Um, back uh, six years ago, Smith asked a court federal court to rule that Colorado could not enforce its anti-discrimination act because it would violate her right, uh, her First Amendment right to free speech and free exercise of religion. That act that she did not want enforced prohibits businesses that are open to the public Mm. from discriminating on the basis of certain protected characteristics, including sexual orientation. So not only does the business have to serve everybody, but it may not communicate that customers in one of these protected classes, like sexual orientation, that they're not welcome. So she lost in the trial court and in the appellate court, and then the Supreme Court agreed to take, take up the case. The argument occurred in December, and we're going to get a, an opinion sometime uh, before June 30th.
1: So this uh, rings a bell here. Doesn't this, I recall, an earlier case in Colorado where somebody was required to bake a cake for a gay couple?
3: Yeah, it seems like the debate was resolved by that uh, case in 2018. That was the Masterpiece Cake Shop versus the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. But, in fact, it was not resolved. Uh, The Supreme Court held in that case that the baker, a guy named Jack Phillips, did not have to design a cake for a same-sex wedding, but the court's decision left unanswered the the crucial question of whether the baker's speech and religious rights trumped the gay couple's rights to non-discrimination. Instead, what the court concluded was that the baker simply didn't get a fair shake Mm -hmm. because the members of the Colorado Commission had demonstrated an extreme bias against religion, and that was a factor that might not be present. If future cases uh, were to raise the same question. And in fact, that is what has now uh, transpired. Wow, same sir. issue, but we're finally going to get to the merits of the case.
1: So interesting. So, what constitutional rights dictate whether business has to design a same sex wedding website?
3: There are a lot of rights at issue. Uh, there's private property, one thing, uh, freedom of association, uh, the owner's free speech rights, or right to exercise their religious. And then, of course, the customer's right not to be discriminated against. So my sense is that Lori Smith at uh, 303 Creative has a winning argument Mm -hmm. on the speech question. Uh, The tension between free speech and the right to non-discrimination is the only issue that the court is going to be addressing. And that probably reflects the courts view that the argue, other arguments I mentioned are considerably weaker. Now, that doesn't prevent you and me from uh, discussing them, but the court is only going to look at the speech issue. Uh, at the outset, you know, I think it's important to note that uh, I and others at Cato, we've been uh, vigorous supporters of marriage equality, and I, I actually served as co-chair of the American Foundation for Equal Rights along with Bill Clinton's uh, chief of staff, John Podesta, and that foundation uh, sponsored the Prop 8 litigation in California, laid the groundwork for the Supreme Court's uh, landmark Obergefell decision that recognized a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. So, you know, I take a backseat to nobody uh, on this issue of gay rights, uh, but there's other things involved in this case.
1: Absolutely. So let's start with the right to private property and freedom of association. Uh, What role do they play in this case?
3: I think that private businesses should be able to serve or not to serve uh, same-sex couples, or for that matter, opposite-sex couples, for any reason whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, People who think that the Constitution bars that kind of discrimination, I think misunderstand the nature of that document. The Constitution is not a code of conduct that private citizens have to obey. The dual purpose of the Constitution is to limit the power of government and to prevent government from violating our rights. So it's not the people or the citizens who are required to obey the Constitution. It's the government. Mm -hmm. And that's why libertarians believe in both the right to gay marriage and the right, not necessarily the morality but the legal right to discriminate against gays. Government may not discriminate in granting, for example, marriage licenses, but private parties conducting business on their own private property have a right to associate with whomever they please. And accordingly, individuals and business owners should be able to serve gays only, straights only, both of them, or neither of them, for good reasons, for bad reasons, or for no reasons at all. And this right to associate is paramount. It's much broader than attempting, uh, than exempting uh, business owners based solely on religious freedom or speech claims. Private businesses should be able to select their customers, guided by the marketplace, and constrained by competition. That's what a free market's about. And generally that process leads to fair outcomes.
1: Now, Before the 1964 Civil Rights Act, didn't free markets often mean segregated restaurants, buses, hotels, and so forth?
3: Yep, it did. And some businesses did practice segregation, especially in the South. But that's not the whole story. The private businesses, that did discriminate. They were aided and abetted by government collusion and Jim Crow laws. So the offending states used three strategies. First, they controlled the police and the courts. Second, they denied services such as water and electricity to firms that didn't tow the segregationist line. And then third, they ignored or even supported private violence. So, yes, I, I think a federal uh, public accommodations laws and state laws were justified but they were justified to counteract government complicity in racial discrimination. And did those laws cure the problem? No, they did not, which proves that markets are not perfect, uh, but neither is government. So the proper comparison is not markets versus an ideal world where social justice is ubiquitous. The relevant comparison is markets versus government regulation. No reasonable person disputes that government occasionally does the right thing and the good thing, but the equation isn't complete unless you consider the bad things that inevitably accompany the good. So, you know, along with integration in restaurants and hotels, which I think it's fair to say would have happened without government, although probably not quite as quickly, Mm -hmm. but along with that, we now have lots of inequities associated with things like minority set-asides and racial preferences. In fact, the court's going to look at that this term in the affirmative action case.
1: So interesting. What an interesting point of view. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, come on up. We're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and they know the policy. Uh, They prepare your elected officials with a game plan to win in legislation. You can find out more by visiting the website. Thefga.org. Thefga.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, Andy, uh, well, let's let's start off uh with uh good news we typically start our discussions with, with good news in the news yeah
2: there's some there's some good news as there typically is it's always a matter of whether it overshadows the bad news and i'm not sure if that's the case but there is some good news first of all the military dropped the mandatory vaccination program so i think that was a a good sign in, in itself it's a good sign but that it even happened that what are the pressures that would have would have created that to uh to occur so I'm very pleased to see to see that that happening. Um, my major good news is the ongoing success. Uh, I'll call it of the McCarthy-led uh, House. Um, I think we're seeing a, a collegial attitude. Uh, they are uh, having an, an engaged process. I, I think they're acting on many specific situations protecting our oil reserves the uh, the, the born alive situation the uh, the the challenge to the eighty seven thousand IRS members I think in the short time that they've been uh, sworn in and seated uh, I think we're seeing some very significant uh, significant actions and i again I would emphasize collegiality one of the things suggested with the McCarthy uh, challenge was that this would create a major ongoing division and split uh, in in the House Republicans, and certainly that has not manifested itself uh, at this point. I hope it stays that way. Uh, we can make probably uh, cite that by looking at the uh, the uh, situation with Byron Donalds, our local congressman here. Uh, where Byron was named to the Influential Financial Services Committee, uh, and he was also named as the Speaker's representative on the administrative arm of the Republican Steering Committee. So if there's going to be any uh, residual problem as a derivative of that challenge, I, I feel that uh, Byron Donalds probably would have been the recipient of that. But we can see within the actions of McCarthy that that is not the case. So uh, there, this is good news for America, good news certainly in terms of well, what might continue to happen in the two years that this that this house is seated, Bob.
1: Uh, thank you for that. That is all good news, I must say. I'm a little uh, uh, bewildered by the uh, military not allowing people to come back into the military. That they have dismissed because they didn't get the jab. That just doesn't make any sense to me. It's just, well, I mean. <laughs>
2: In an America that we have, Bob, I mean, to to have anything happening that's positive without the totality of sense is is something we can't hope for. So we we have to uh, have our our, our bits and pieces and grab onto them when they occur.
1: Uh, Yeah, good point, Andy. The the other thing is that, of course, I think there's going to be a pretty uh, dramatic uh, disagreement and less collegial, collegial, I would say, than uh, when we get to this debt ceiling issue between the president and uh, uh, McCarthy.
2: Yeah, my collegiality comment was based on the Republicans themselves. Right. That we have not uh, come face-to-face or head-to-head with the, uh, the, uh, the, the pushback and the resistance that undoubtedly is going to be met. Uh, most of the, as we talked about last week, even, Bob, most of the success of this House will be in the uh, committee investigations, and I think they're not just retributions for previous uh, Democrat actions. I think these are needed to uh, restore some semblance of confidence in the in the federal government and its bureaucracies. Yeah. Uh, if we cannot do that, then I think this nation is is going to continue to go downhill. So I think we have to do that, and I think the House has a chance of, of reassessing establishing the integrity of our government, and as, as, a, as a subset of doing that, the confidence of the American people, Bob.
1: Yeah, I think that's, uh, I totally agree with that, Andy. So uh, we just celebrated uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and uh, it just reminds me there's a lot of irony in how the positions that the left has taken with regard to his, uh, his legacy
2: well, I mean, we, you can already see, or you could have seen on Martin Luther King Day itself, the, the pushback essentially from the left about uh, his most uh, cited uh, quotation, which is, he uh, one day his children will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. It's the use of the word character, which is a personal attribute uh, that... Uh, MLK cited uh, as, a, as a critical component uh, of the nature of a human being, and it is one of the uh, essences of what a good society does. It produces people of, of good character. Uh, we can see that in his uh, statement about the goal of a true education is to produce intelligence plus character. Uh, that was built into ev- uh, to many of his comments. Uh, so we, we can see that, uh, we can also add to that, not exactly a character reference, but uh, one of his most, uh, to me, one of his most significant quotations is, nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. <laughs> so I, I think the, it is that kind of penetrating uh, commentary that King offered, that I think at the time of his death, unfortunate death in 68, when I was in Vietnam, I think we, we, we had A a turning point in American uh, culture and in American history, Uh, but we failed to sustain it. Uh, Ralph Abernathy, when he took over the reins uh, from Martin Luther King, including Jesse Jackson, uh, they were not uh, tragically bad, but I think all of that has led to where we are now with uh, Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, Uh, in my estimation, uh, concepts that would have been totally rejected by Martin Luther King, who in my estimation was trying to Eliminate race as a consideration in American life, American politics, certainly. And instead, what has happened since the uh, 50 years uh, since his death, we've had nothing but that, where the color of the skin has become the defining characteristic, uh, both positive and negative, within American life.
1: So well said, Andy. And, uh, you know, uh, if you've ever read the uh, his letter from uh, the Birmingham jail, it's so, so interesting. It's almost poetic and it's beautiful. Uh, Martin Luther King was a great, great man and using peaceful resistance in order to uh, gain uh, footage, gaining uh, traction in some of these most important issues. I think he was a great leader. I think he made a great contribution. And now the Democrats have simply turned his message on its head. In fact, they use identity politics in order to divide society.
2: I mean, there's there's no doubt. I mean, I was in Vietnam when MLK was assassinated, and um, I had many African American friends over there, or uh, uh, most of my my white friends also mourned with the with our black uh, uh, comrades over there. Uh, it was a, a unified event of uh, of of uh, of, of anguish, I would almost call it. Uh, When I came back from Vietnam, I went to see the documentary on King's life. It it was a point in time where uh, America certainly... Uh, could have been unified, and if that was extended, I don't think we'd be where we are right now today, Bob. I think that uh, MLK would turn his back on the nature of what's happened in American culture since his death, Bob.
1: Absolutely, and my hope is with uh, now we have this quote-unquote church committee that's being pulled together to take a look at the uh, politicalization of these uh of these uh, agencies like the CIA and the FBI. Perhaps they'll also look into Martin Luther King's death and whether they played a role there as well.
2: Well, have you heard that that's part of what may be on a church committee type agenda? No, I
1: haven't, but it seems to me it's well worth pursuing.
2: I, certainly that uh, I, I would like to have that happen. It, it, it's very difficult certainly after all these years, but I think it's something that uh, should happen. If we look back at the uh, the FBI monitor of uh, MLK for, for most of his public life, I think that uh, there are all kinds of potentials that can be cited. I, I think we can uh, consider that within the scope also of the uh, potential CIA association. That's the strongest word I would use with the JFK assassination. Right. So I think, yes, I think these type of things are are called for. We have to restore uh, the integrity of our government, and uh, I think that would go a long way towards towards doing it.
1: Andy, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. To the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more with new Performing Arts Center being built in downtown Naples. You can get tickets by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Uh, we continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. Of Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So I want to get your thoughts on what's happening with the Biden papers, the uh, uh, the, pa- the uh, classified documents that somehow ended up in his garage, as well as his office funded <laughs> in, by in, the Chinese. Inadvertently,
2: Bob. Inadvertently. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like Hillary Clinton's la- um, uh, computer server, you know, it just inadvertently was in her bathroom.
1: Well, that's right. Of course, keep in mind that uh, the papers were locked up in his garage. What's the problem? <laughs>
2: Well i mean they're also <laughs> surrounded by the corvette apparently so let's 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 not just diminish that that security that's incredible uh, you know i I think that if we look at uh, the, the the basic issue of uh, that i think is is important here is are we going to see uh, equitable treatment equal treatment uh Uh, Trump to uh, to Biden. I think that uh, the uh, Biden administration will make the case that by the appointing of special counsels in both cases, they've done that. Uh, I think, however, if we look at the uh, failure to raid Biden's um, Biden Ben Center, uh, Biden Ben Biden Center, uh, and his home in Wilmington, Delaware, I think we're already seeing uh, that that's not the case. what I would like to add, just to throw something new into the equation that I think is, is scarcely considered or mentioned, certainly we have to be concerned with the protection of, of uh, all confidential materials, especially top secret. Uh, but I think one of the most dangerous sources of leaks as it pertains to this kind of information, comes within the very minds of people in Congress, whether they're current or, or, or future or present members or past members. Uh, I think we have to understand that uh, the top-secret information that they contain in their minds and can release any time they want. I think, is a significant uh, area of possible uh, threat to this nation. I can name, and I won't do it here, Bob, I could name several uh, congresspeople who I believe would would not hesitate to release information that would compromise this country if they found it to be appropriate. And I'm not going to name names, but uh, I think I could. Perhaps one day I'll do that. So I think that's a serious issue, and it's it's i think we have to deal more with for your eyes only type of top secret uh which means that these can't be types of information can't be broadly disseminated uh, to a large population, as they are currently to the 435 members of the House, for example. So I think that that has to be limited. Uh, If we're looking uh, back to the Biden situation and the Trump situation, I would like to see, and I think it's perhaps the most important consideration in my mind, categorically, what is the information that is contained in these top-secret documents? Now, I guarantee they're not going to release the full documents. By definition, their top secret. Right. So but I think categorically they can talk about those top secret diamond uh, documents. What do they deal with? I want to see what the particularly the Biden documents uh, deal with. I think if there was a significant issue with the uh, with the Trump Mar-a-Lago do- documents, we would have heard that by now. Uh, there is certainly strong rumor and strong reason to believe that the uh, the, the documents that uh, Biden preserved had to do with uh, Ukraine, had to do with China, had to do perhaps with his family's involvement with both of those entities. Uh, that is a rumor. It's been. Uh, uh, brought, uh, I can say it's been brought out by, by several different people, but again, it's not confirmed. Uh, but I would like to see categorically the nature of that information uh, of those Biden documents. Uh, I had published an essay which you, you probably saw, which was called uh, An Eagle, a Vulture, and a Stone. Uh, in that, Bob, I, I make the, the case. Uh, that what the left has tried to do with this Biden document situation is get rid of Donald Trump. Uh, how will that happen? Uh, I think they'll make the case, and we'll see it unfolding, that because they have been so unreserved in their condemnation and assault on the, uh, on the Biden situation, that gives them extra license and ability uh, to attack the Trump situation. Uh, what, who are the two birds Trump is one. The other is Biden. How do I see that? I see that Biden is certainly a not desirable candidate for the left. I think they've been trying to compute a methodology uh, to uh, get rid of him from the 2024 ticket without publicly acknowledging the absolute disgrace uh, of his term in office and build it around something unassociated with that, which would be the uh the maintaining of top secret documents uh, in his personal files Bob
1: so interesting Andy. I would like to have an explanation of why they, these papers were revealed in the the early part of November, and we don't find out until, about them until a few days ago uh, and I'm talking about the papers in the in his office at the chinese funded uh, University of Pennsylvania office in Washington, D.C. Uh, I'd like to find out why that delay occurs. Second of all, uh, we have his private attorneys who are on, on the payroll for the United States of America, and so we're therefore paying his, their salaries. They're the ones that are going in and taking a look at the documents. They don't have security clearance in order to look at the documents, whatever they find. So there's a lot of inconsistencies. And, of course, I'm now talking about the dual system of justice Raiding Mar-a-Lago when they actually went to Mar-a-Lago, had a peaceful discussion and, and uh, about what was in there. Told uh, uh, Trump to put a lock on the on the door, which he did. And then they come in and raid it. It's you know it's it's all the optic. It's all trying to try, to criminalize President Donald Trump.
2: I, I think that's that's the essence of it. I I think again as I mentioned before, I think we'll see that unfolding as the uh, the in the immediate future. So <clears throat> well, let me just say something about about top secret documents I had access significant access to uh, to top secret documents, including uh, per, uh, portions of the of the uh, our uh, military war plans and the strategic air command um, I, I was so hesitant to to reveal some of that, even when I believed it was declassified, even to today, 60, 50 years later, Bob, I still will not reveal some of the call signs uh, that I knew and used consistently when I was in 8th Air Force Command Post. Wow. So, I mean, m- most Americans who get uh, a top secret CAT 1 clearance are certainly much more dramatic. Uh, in their ability and willingness to uh, to protect these top secret documents, uh, I fault Trump for uh, for doing anything in that category. I, I, I at this point I doubt the seriousness of the specific documents, but I have problems with the very existence of top secret documents in the possession uh, of of Donald Trump. Uh, I think there is a categorical qualitative difference uh, in the in the Biden situation, though. I think we have to see that explored. Uh, to the same degree, or perhaps even more so, uh, than we saw with, uh, with Donald Trump. Um, I doubt we're going to get that, but I think that, to me, becomes the critical delineating factor of just what we're talking about here. It's not just the broad category of top secret with no definition. It has to deal with the specificity of what is contained in those documents, at least by category, Bob.
1: So interesting. Thanks for clarifying that, Andy. I'd like to talk to you about the World Economic Forum that's going on right now. Can you stick around? I'll be here, All friend. right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement?
0: back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Hartman.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to remind you that the Collier Senior Center in Golden Gate is uh, conducting a funeral planning seminar. And uh, it's going to be very informative. It's actually happening tomorrow at 10 a.m. You can find out more by visiting collierseniorcenter.org or calling 252 252- Forty-five, forty-one, two-five, two, forty-five, forty-one. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josefa Savaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. So, Andy, I've been looking forward to hearing your comments and thoughts about the World Economic Forum going on in Davos right now. I was disappointed to see that uh, we had uh, several conservatives going there, uh, and perhaps just out of interest rather than support, uh, but also uh, this... Uh, klaus schwab is saying that we're somehow going to be able to control the future what are your thoughts well
2: i i hope what you said about the uh attendees is true that they're just going to monitor and <clears throat> perhaps to contribute something in a pushback situation um but i'm, I'm not quite sure that's true there are some very uh, prominent names that are that are in attendance uh you have perhaps about I think the number is about 2,500 this year. A thousand private jets. Uh, by the way, as best I can understand, that Clark Schwab and George Soros are not in attendance. Uh, I'm not sure whether that's an age-related factor or some other threat that they have uh, sensed at the at at Davos. Uh, but again, I I've certainly been aware of. Uh, of WEF since its founding, perhaps not at the very beginning in 1971, but as it began to get traction, uh, and I was teaching through this period in 19, early 1990s, uh, we can see that this. So, and I. I didn't ignore it again, as I started to say, uh, but I haven't quite gained an appreciation for, uh, for what it is doing and what it is capable of doing. Uh, if we're looking at the, uh, the, the general positions of, of Schwab and WEF, it calls for the end of the sovereign state, the end of private property, the remaking of economies based on ESG, environment, so, uh, society, so social, and governance. Uh, the replacement of oil and gas with uh, so-called the green sustainable, the transformation of agriculture, Uh, the replacement of traditional money with social credit score-linked digital currency, Uh, the requirement of universal health passports. Those are just some of the major planks uh, that are being promoted by WEF. Within that, what Schwab has created is what he has called Young Global Leaders, young global leaders. I think we can see the young global leaders that he has tutored and I'm going to use the word brainwashed uh, over the past 30 years now and their their actions are now coming to fulfillment. We can see this in uh, diverse countries from Canada, Holland, Germany, Australia, New Zealand, Sri Lanka and all of these countries have been significantly injured, damaged by policies implemented by young, politi- young global leaders as a result of Schwab's uh, uh, methodology and, and indoctrination, I'll call it. Uh, so we're looking at a process that, I, and by the way, I can't leave out Justin Trudeau and, and Macron of France. All of Merkel of, of Germany when she was in power... All of these are young global leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is asked consistently, uh, why are these things happening? Why is there such dramatic pushback against COVID? Why is there such a dramatic commitment to, uh, to green energy? Why is there such a dramatic commitment to electric vehicles? I think the answer is simple, and it can be found within the young global leaders and the indoctrination of Klaus Schwab within the, uh, the World Economic Forum. Uh, I think this is a dangerous uh, process. Uh, uh, Schwab himself has cited the Chinese model is the most attractive model uh, within his consideration. We're looking at a totalitarian thought control, behavioral control process in uh, in, uh, communist China through the CCP. And that is the one that Schwab uh, advocates. So we have this large influential group of elitists meeting at... Uh, meeting at Davos every year. On the surface, it sounds, sounds like a good thing. Cooperation among nation states as compared to competition. But what we see, we have always two things in economic, bobs: the seen and the unseen. The seen sounds good. The unseen is where the problems are are coming from, and I think these are serious problems uh, that we 've already seen manifest in uh, for example the, uh, the the suppression of of some of the uh, fertilizers that is is called mass footage outages in in sri lanka we 've seen that the, one of the major agricultural production, production countries of the world uh, um uh, the netherlands that has closed down uh, a vast number of its of its farms yeah. uh, so we can see the the end result of wef and schwab policies being implemented by the young global leaders uh, that includes also of course Uh, Chudeau, who has just been draconian in in some of his actions directed at the Canadian people. In fact, the one thing I would say is the the defining characteristic of this, the least important commodity in the consideration of the World Economic Forum, in terms of its actual platform situation, is the quality of life for individual human beings. In fact, Schwab has indicated that the population of this planet should be reduced by a factor of 16, what that means is essentially uh, that uh, the 8 billion people on the planet, in Schwab's estimation, has to be brought down to 500 million. Uh, that is not going to happen through, uh, through normal mechanisms. That will have to, will have to be obtained, I, I believe, in the long run, uh, with, uh, with food shortages, with energy shortages, that will, by its very nature, wind up decreasing the population of this planet. Those are frightening things to me, Bob. And since there is such an elitist participation in this, the highest levels of government, the highest levels of corporate, of the world in, in, in the corporate sector, these things are all under the counseling guidance of Schwab, uh, particularly through his Young Global Leaders program, Bob.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Andy. It, it, quite, from my standpoint, the most important thing is, uh, what we understood in our founding fathers is that uh, power corrupts, that the people, each individual is sacrosanct, each individual has rights, and our people form a government not to control us, but for us to uh, to maintain some law and order, to be able to provide things the government should provide, and keep everything else out of our personal lives, as opposed to what Klaus Schwab wants. As he says, you know, we now have the technology to build a perfect earth and to be able to, uh, and he actually described the outcome would be, you know, people will own nothing and they will be happy. (laughs) Uh,
2: Back in 1991, I published an essay for the Gannett uh, called, it was titled, um, uh, Environmental Theology Will Denigrate Human Needs. And I have positions in in that essay for Gannett. Uh, where I particularly uh, actually focused on what we're seeing now, where humanity has been the least important consideration yeah. in the decisions being made. Uh, so when we talk about why would they promote electric vehicles in California, mandating them emita- in, a, in a limited time frame, the answer is the World Economic Forum, uh, their commitment to the reduction or the elimination of, of, of greenhouse gase- gases within a very short uh, fr- uh, time framework. We spent 10,000 years, Bob, of, of human history getting to a point where we had it right. We, it wasn't perfect, but it was as close as we could get. Most of that spearheaded by the United States of America. What we see uh, in, in the World Economic Forum, supported by political and corporate leaders, is the absolute uh, dismantling of all of the characteristics of civilization that we bled to produce over the last 10,000 years, Bob.
1: So well said. And Andy, you know, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. So thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you soon, Bob. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope I hope you enjoyed it. I just want to remind you that starting tonight, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., uh, Lulabee's Diner is offering a dinner, a nice, a beautiful dinner. In fact, the chef is just terrific at Lulabee's Diner. So if you'd like an informal, nice dinner, again, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree uh, Shopping Center, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., along with great breakfast and lunch as well. We have great guests for tomorrow's show, including Keith Flaw, uh, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Of course, the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. (laughs)